Welcome to the Roasters Podcast. My name is Cassian Orzel and this podcast is about all things coffee from the Roasters perspective. In this episode, we'll talk about flavor notes. Recently, there is a wave of content on the internet regarding flavor notes in coffee. I've not been following that very closely, but recently I got into an Instagram conversation about it. Shout out to Ben, if you're listening, thanks for that. And that conversation got me thinking, what is the role of flavor notes in our industry? How do we use that? What, what use do we have of this? Are they useful? Or do they kind of suck? Particularly for roasters and quality managers. So I'm going to present you a roaster's perspective on how flavor notes are perceived by customers and how that affects what description I would put on the label. And then I'm going to look more closely at what actually happens in the roastery and the capping lab. Whether that would be for green buying or quality control. I spend a lot of time in the roastery, in the lab, managing quality. But I used to be a barista. And I remember that kind of struggle of having experienced certain coffee in a certain way, maybe a citrusy, floral, especially those East African coffees. And then I would have customers coming in, and it was really difficult to, first of all, sell them that coffee, especially by talking about how, how this coffee would be experienced, what sort of flavor notes this coffee can provide. And then even if you got those people to order and drink that coffee, I would find that rarely would they agree with what is my experience of the coffee, even though we were actually drinking pretty much the same extraction in the same place. So at least that context was narrowed down. You see, it's really difficult to get something that is as subjective as flavor notes. It's really difficult to, to get people to agree on that. You know, even within the coffee industry, our peers, we often disagree. Especially when it comes to more of those secondary and tertiary qualities of the coffee. It's kind of easier to get into calibration when it comes to intensity of certain things. Get at acidity, sweetness, bitterness. That's a little bit easier, although it's also tricky. But flavor notes? You'd be hard-pressed to have one coffee being tasted by 10 people and have each of them describing that coffee in the same way. So flavor notes are very subjective. And it is very difficult to sell flavor notes. I used to manage a place where we had two different coffees on the bar and they were differentiated only by flavor notes. And the flavor notes were up there so the customer could see and decide for themselves. And that led to many interesting conversations. And most of them were sort of changing my own perspective on how we perceive flavor and how personal and contextual, that is. 
you see, that's when I kind of move into the divide of the commercial and specialty. And in specialty coffee, we really try to differentiate that our coffee is of a different quality, of higher quality. It is very difficult. You know, just saying that the coffee is sweeter and less bitter is usually not enough. It is a pretty good start, but that can be often achieved by just adding milk and sugar into the coffee. So how do you actually convince people to switch over from commercial to specialty coffee, to pay more for the experience? And the favorite baristas or roasters go-to tool are flavor notes. Yeah, in this coffee you're gonna experience like a cherry cake, a lot of lemonade, some florals at the back. And then maybe start talking about the texture and the body and it gets a little bit murky and we can't really find one way to discuss, to describe the coffee. Because there's not one way of describing coffee. And precisely that's why it's so difficult to market, to sell that coffee. If you grab a bag of any specialty coffee, you'll often see a lot of description of that coffee, saying what process this coffee is, where is it coming from, maybe the name of the producer, details like altitude or the length of fermentation process, and more than likely, a bunch of flavor notes. But when you taste that coffee, you would agree maybe with some of those flavor notes, but probably not all of them. And maybe you would find so many more different ones. And as coffee professionals, we find that it's okay. We all have different levels of knowledge, but we kind of understand the product enough to see where the differentiation might be coming from. Different water, different equipment. Maybe you're kind of angry and this coffee is a little bit more bitter. The packaging is affecting how we perceive the coffee. The cup that we're drinking from. So many things impacts the experience. And we all have multiple biases. Now, if you grab a bag of commercial coffee, your cheap supermarket, you'd be hard-pressed to find flavor notes on that bag. You're more likely to have some sort of a story of how the silky smooth coffee from this plantation in Brazil is going to wake you up in the morning and set you up for achieving everything you want to in your day. Maybe there'll be a mention of texture, maybe some generic coffee, chocolate, flavor note. But that's about it. They are not trying to differentiate themselves by putting different flavor notes in the bag. Usually the color of the packaging is the most differentiating factor. If you have one company having slightly different products, slightly different blends, coffees, they 
try to be different in every way other than the flavor notes. You'd often see some sort of scales. The body, four out of five. The intensity, three out of five. Reach, maybe sometimes you'd have something of light to dark, probably indicating the roast. But that's very little information. And that's what the customers like. If you ask people what they want when they try to decide what coffee they buy, unless they are coffee professionals, and sometimes even some coffee professionals would agree that flavor notes are not the differentiating factor for them when it comes to purchasing decisions. They might rather find that some sort of a scale telling how acidic that coffee is, how strong, how darkly roasted would sort of be a better guide for choosing the right product, the right experience. Now, there is a certain problem with those scales, is that what is the reference for those? We often look at a scale and we think we know what maximum and minimum and kind of middle of that scale would be like. But we only have our own experience. And it might be an imperfect experience. It might not be calibration-like experience you'd get, you know, before the competition in the judging team or on a Q course. So we are very fallible when it comes to this. We can make mistakes and we're not accurate. But commercial industry still uses them. And that's because they communicate to the customer. And they are com that communication is effective because consumers think or feel like they understand those scales. Richness, four out of five. Well, that's kind of the coffee that I would like. One out of five, well, not so much. I like my coffee to be rich. You see often people who just got into coffee describing the coffee in this way. And this doesn't mean anything to you, coffee professional, because you know the depth and the variety that the coffee can offer. But for someone who doesn't have such a rich base of different experiences to draw from and compare, they're just going to use very basic language, very basic terms, which they've been using for so many different products other than coffee. So that sort of communication is not coffee-specific. If you think about the beer, most people who are not necessarily knowledgeable of beer would come to the pub and probably order the same thing. And usually they would differentiate on probably the color, somewhat indicating the strength, the body, the texture of that beer and also the alcohol content. And unless you happen to have some knowledge about how different hops, different malts, different brewing processes affect the taste, that's gonna be about it. And that's gonna be your kind of two-sentence conversation with whoever's pouring that pint for you. And most people coming to the coffee shop, at best, will have that setting, that kind of context, that kind of 
language that they would bring into ordering the coffee and choosing if there is something to choose from. Context is everything. I've already mentioned that coffee will express itself differently based on how it's brewed, with what kind of water it is used, how fresh it is, what sort of equipment is being used, different pressure, temperature settings. We all know these are brew variables. The coffee is a product that, unless you buy a ready-to-drink product or go to the cafe, you need to prepare it yourself. And that in itself brings in tons of variables. It's not like a bottle of wine when you pop it open and you're going to have the same experience or almost the same experience as somebody drinking that same bottle in a different country. Yes, obviously the kind of glass that would be drunk from and the temperature and the setting, it still will affect the experience. It's still going to shape the context in a certain way. But it is a little bit more unified experience rather than the coffee that needs to be brewed. And depending on how you do this, you might have very different results. And when it comes to context, we are prone to many different biases. We might have accommodated to certain quality of the coffee, be that acidity, be that bitterness or roastiness. And I think that might be the easiest one to, to describe. Darker roasts. If you're not used to them, no matter what the coffee is being roasted, or how well or bad this dark roast is executed, it will just taste like dark coffee to you. Maybe some smokiness, some ashiness, maybe some dark chocolate, burnt sugar, you know, all those many, many things that, that come to you when, you when you have coffee that's probably pushed a little bit too dark. But if you were to have a cupping table made out of very different dark roasts, yes, I would argue there would be less differentiation because of that level of development on this dark roast, roasted coffee table than, say, your typical sample roast level of development. Yes, you will have less variety. Some flavor notes will never be expressed, the acidity will be muted, and it is such a big differentiator of the quality of coffee and the experience you're having. So naturally, yes, darker roasts are more difficult to see through. But once you accommodate to that darkness, if you will, you start seeing through them. There will be different levels of caramelization. There will be varying levels of acidity. Yes, that acidity will be much lower than you might typically be used to, but there still will be some acidity. Some coffee might be particularly smoky or ashy or really burnt. And some might, if you dare to say, kind of be balanced. You'd say, well, as for the dark roasts, it's pretty good. Maybe not, you would, not that you would drink it, but say, okay, well, somebody knows how to do that well. And because many things are so contextual, think about 
I just want to bring back the sort of intensity of, of what, we, what we're having. So on that capping table, the most intense thing would be the roast, the darkness of the roast, and it will be somewhat overpowering. And yes, you can accommodate to it, but you can never ignore it. It will be there. Now, often specialty coffee tries to be sort of elegant, subtle, delicate, with how it brews, roasts, and presents the coffee to the customer. Completely opposite of what, say, Starbucks would do, where we have dark roast, often with different flavors. Think of your frappuccinos, those sweet drinks. They have a lot of intensity of flavor. We have darkly roasted coffee, a lot of sweetness from the sugar, some flavorings. Your specialty coffee, even if it's natural Ethiopia or West Kenya, cannot compete with that intensity. And in fact, unless you're a coffee professional who can taste these things, those nuances of these coffees, Many flavor notes will be completely under the radar. Like yes, maybe the customer would be able to say that there is some acidity, but they wouldn't be able to say, oh, that's a citric acidity, you know. Makes me think of lemons or oranges. Or no, that's a tartaric acidity. Okay, some grapes, maybe cherries. Unless you're trained to do this, you will not pick up the difference. And expecting our customers to be trained and know this and be able to see the difference is quite naive. And this is why communicating those flavor notes is so difficult. Because if you just cannot taste something, you will never agree that it is there. So the intensity all those things is big part of, of the context. How you obviously, what you decide to do with that coffee. How we roast it, how we brew it, are we going to put sugar in it, milk, and so on. Another bias that we're prone to do in the coffee industry is that we are some, sometimes narrowing down on some things that are very secondary. So maybe you've just been drinking coffee for a little while and suddenly every time you taste a little bit of citric acidity, you just pick it up immediately, very, very quickly. And your citrus flavor notes are very accurate. And in pretty much every coffee, you can pinpoint what kind of citric acidity that would be. Maybe it reminds you of lemonade, kaffir lime, Maybe pink grapefruit, tangerine. You know, maybe, maybe you can really narrow down on this one quality of the coffee. And every coffee that you're tasting, you're kind of putting down that citrus quality to it. But sometimes that citrusy quality is not the primary experience of this coffee. It's not the primary flavor note. It might be secondary or tertiary. And 
if you don't drink that coffee with somebody who's just as focused and can narrow down on those things, they will not agree with you. They'll be like, I don't, I don't think that coffee is citrusy. It's just chocolatey. It's Brazilian coffee. What are you talking about? You've probably experienced some of that. Also, as you're accommodating certain things, as you're being used to, you know, let's let's bring those Brazils. Probably of some of some lower qualities, not not necessarily fancy fermentation, anaerobic processes. But you know, once you sort of go through that level of chocolate, some caramels and nuttiness, you start picking up at some very low intensity multiple different things. And that's why, you know, you can differentiate the different Brazils between each other. Those are those nuances that make the difference. But if you narrow down on these nuances so much, you may not see the bigger picture. That is, you might cease to see or really appreciate the intensity of, say, the chocolatiness in this coffee. And that's why often the flavor notes can be inaccurate. And especially if you do not drink a, a wide variety of different coffees, that makes you more prone to it because you have those, this, this narrow, this wide range, this, sorry, this, this narrow range of experiences available to you. So try to zoom in into each of those experiences as much as possible to get the most out of it. And that's a beautiful thing, and that's an amazing ability that coffee professionals have. Same with wine enthusiasts or food enthusiasts. You can zoom in and, and see those things, those nuances. But in the grand scheme of things, we have to agree that coffee generally tastes... Like coffee, it is a roasted product, so it's gonna have some of that roasted element to it, some of those mild reactions. There's gonna be some acidity and there's gonna be a lot of bitterness, whether you like it or not. And there's probably not gonna be much sweetness. It's gonna be probably more of the aromatics of, of the coffee bringing up the perception of sweetness. And coffee tasters generally have a very different perspective, very different perception of the coffee. So they can narrow down on what is the sweetness of this coffee, even though there's not much sweetness in this coffee. Or you can ignore a lot of the roast characteristics that are present in the coffee. Pretty much all coffees share some attributes with each other, whether that be an Ethiopian, Brazilian, Indian coffee, even Robusta. There's, there is some overlap between different varieties of coffee. And roasted coffee will pretty much always have some chocolate, some caramel, some nuttiness. Because this is the product of the reactions that are happening during the roast. You cannot roast coffee without any mild reactions or any caramelization. 
And since that those reactions are universal for all the coffees, then all the coffees will have, to some extent, those flavor qualities. They might not be primary, they might not even be secondary, but they will be there. And which is why people who are often the most accurate when it comes to putting flavor notes on the coffee. And by accurate, I mean so that the pool of people, the sort of percentage of population that would agree that these are the flavor notes for that coffee would be sort of the greatest. So it'd have the most people agreeing that, yes, indeed, this coffee tastes like this and that. The people who are really good at this taste a lot of different coffees of different grades, different roast levels, different processes. We all have our preferences, and we narrow down on those preferences, and we get better at differentiating what's within our pool of preference. But we are almost oblivious to what's happening outside of this bubble of the experiences that we have. Just like with your association of the flavor notes. If you've never had Isla whiskey, you will never know what the experience is like. And if somebody tells you that this coffee kind of tastes like Lafroig 10, the Isla whiskey, a very good example, you'll be like, yeah, maybe, I don't know, never had that. So that's why context is everything. And I could really end this podcast here, but I'm just going to move over what is the, the most practical use of flavor notes, at least for me as the roaster. And that context is very well defined and is very narrow. And that is the use of flavor notes in the roastery, in the capping lab. Why is that? I'm always brewing those coffees in exactly the same way, with almost identical water every single time. Because I control for those things. I have the same ratio, the same grind size, the same temperature, the same capping bowls. I do everything the same way. And also, I am somewhat confined to what I already have. And that is what is available within the roastery, what is available in the capping lab. And I kind of cannot change that. Yes, I can experiment with different brewing methods and different waters, but generally I am already quite restricted. So that narrows down my context. I'm also capping either alone or within a very narrow, very small team. And because we've been capping and discussing coffees together for so long, we kind of know how we define certain attributes. You would say we are calibrated, that we can agree on certain things, or at least we understand the perceptions of the other person a little bit better. I also have a particular offering, different types of coffees that I try to have on the menu and have certain roast philosophy. Yes, I do multiple different levels of roasting, but those are pretty well defined. 
I'm not gonna change the way I roast the coffee dramatically from day to day with different coffees. They all kind of have to have somewhat defined level of development, some level of solubility, and to be consistent with those things. So that further narrows down my context. And often we are just looking for quality. Now I have defined what quality means in the second episode of this podcast about the quality management. Go check it out if you haven't listened yet. But I'm defining quality here as the expectations. So whether I'm buying coffee or I'm providing the coffee or just doing quality control checks, I have certain expectations. So let's kind of go over what these quality attributes and how that really links to the flavor notes that I would be using in the lab, how that, how that links together. So within the very narrow and well-defined context of capping lab, if I'm capping for green buying, I've just ordered some samples, whether from the producer or from the importer, I set a certain intention for that capping. So I'm not evaluating the roast. I'm trying to evaluate the green coffee as much as possible. So maybe the coffee is a little bit underdeveloped or a little bit overdeveloped. I can overlook that because that's not what I'm focusing on. So I'm further narrowing my context. I wouldn't put on one table samples that I'm trying to potentially purchase and my profiling roasts, because those are two very different focuses. And it extends my context. And I don't want that, because then describing this coffee would be a little bit more difficult, less universal, and even more subjective, even though flavor notes are extremely subjective to begin with. So the green buying, it, Let's just say, not even, not even the actual capping, but if I look at the offer lists that you get from importing companies, they are very, very useful, especially if they put in all the details about where this coffee is from, how has it been processed, the score of that coffee, and the flavor notes. Yes, they are the flavor notes there. And they are very useful even though I often tend to disagree. Now I know this is a different context. This coffee has been evaluated in a slightly different way than I am doing. Maybe the roast was different. Maybe the water was different. Maybe the ratio on the capping was, was slightly different. So many things could have affected this. Maybe the, the coffee was capped as it just landed, or was it a pre-shipment sample? So maybe it was a little bit fresh, and it expressed certain attributes a little bit more, and some of them maybe a little bit less. Different context. Which is why I think the disagreement is often coming from. But even though I disagree, it is very useful information. If I'm seeing the Brazilian coffee that sort of tastes like chocolate, caramel, Brazil nut, I'm like, okay. I know what to expect from this coffee. If I'm having a Brazil that has a flavor note of pineapple, 
Well, that suddenly makes it a very different Brazil. Or if it's a Costa Rican coffee, I'd be curious to know whether it's a little bit more on the spicy side. Am I expecting any cinnamon, nutmeg, vanilla, those kind of qualities? Or is it going to be fruit forward, berries, cherries, citrus? So even if I'm seeing very specific flavor notes, I would actually perceive them in a more generic way. I would sort of look at them in a more abstract way. It's like, hey, is it just a fruit or just a citrus? Because that is somebody's experience. And I'm somewhat trying to translate that into what my experience could be. Or based on how I can roast that coffee, what the experience could be for the customer. As a bilingual person, I'm frequently translating back and forth certain things. And I think the process of translating the context, at least for me, is a similar process. I can somewhat imagine how that the coffee that I have roasted would taste when brewed with different water. That's because I've had some experiences with different waters and with similar style of roasting, and I can somewhat extrapolate where that could lead. If you've read uh, Rob Hu's Modulating the Flavor Profile of Coffee, the Once Roaster Manifesto, a very good book, I highly recommend that. He's kind of taking you through the experience of what if you extend certain phase of roast by 10, 20, 30, 40 seconds. What happens to that coffee? And, and, and he's saying that there is the way that those flavor notes are shifting. Maybe the coffee doesn't yet get more or less developed, but those flavor notes are shifting. And within a very narrow context of one person tasting that coffee, yes, some of your lemon can move into being more like lemonade, or suddenly orange peel, or maybe lime. And it's kind of the same precursors of that coffee being expressed differently because of how you roast it. And by narrowing down on this context so much, you can literally decide how you want that coffee to be expressed. And that's a big part of profiling coffee. Where we look at those small things, those little nuances, and see where it sits best. And obviously you don't just look at flavor notes, but those flavor notes can be very useful to guide you. Okay, so are you developing coffee more or less? Maybe, you know, you have shorter development time, but you extend the Maillard phase, how that affects the coffee. Or maybe you decide to have a shorter roast in general. And those are subtle differences. People who are not coffee professionals might not be able to pick up those differences. Sometimes people who are not roasters or quality managers might not be able to pick up on those things. But those flavor notes are becoming very useful for you, for your narrow personal use, 
because they tell you what is happening, what is shifting, even if it's a very, very subtle change. Some defects of the coffee, they can be expressed very differently, so it's probably easier to get multiple cuppers to agree, okay, this coffee is old. But the way you perceive the age of the coffee is quite personal. I've heard so many different descriptors that define old coffee. That is just mind-boggling, that we are kind of having the same coffee, so we kind of have the same experience. But it kind of is a different experience to us, because we associate it with different things based on our previous experiences, or maybe our training. And maybe we taste exactly the same molecule of things, that's something that is in the coffee, in the liquid, and we perceive it differently. Maybe it's just that, maybe our perceptions are so affected by our previous experiences that we cannot perceive it any differently. And then maybe the language. Maybe the language is not our first language. Maybe we can taste many things, but we cannot name them so well. So we tend to have some more generic terms. Again, communicating flavor notes is even more subjective than just tasting flavor notes. That's like another level of abstraction here. But hey, old coffee, you know, how would you describe old coffee? Woody? Papery? Buggy? Maybe you throw in wet cardboard kind of characteristic. Wet dog. I taste that one. Maybe a horse blanket. And beer enthusiasts suddenly say, well, that's the Britannomyces. Yeah, maybe. I don't know what is causing the coffee to taste that way specifically. But if that's your experience, then that is your experience. And if that helps you identify that the coffee is old, that it's aging, then it's very useful for you. So that's why I wouldn't discount flavor notes. Because I can tell you, okay, maybe I'm tasting a bit of a cardboard there. That's probably an indicator of that coffee being old. And the same with any defects, rose defects, underdevelopment, overdevelopment, baking. Maybe you might not be able to say, oh, this coffee's baked. But maybe you're like, well, there's like a lot of bready sort of taste to this, or flavor, bready, bready flavor to this coffee, to, to be more accurate. And like, well, maybe it is a little bit baked. And then you start to think about flavor notes in general, and acidity, and the sweetness. And you're like, yeah, it is baked. But for me, often it is that it's like this flavor note that just comes up in my awareness, my experience of this coffee. You're like, oh, that can mean something. Maybe it means a defect. Maybe it means that I need to adjust the profile. Maybe it means that I should not buy this coffee. So flavor notes can be very useful and can be very practical. But the more personal they are, the more useful they are, I would say. And the moment you start communicating them, that's where the disconnects and the disagreement 
and misunderstandings can happen. So, to summarize this episode, communicating quality, particularly through flavor notes, is subjective and thus very difficult. It depends on so many different things. It is cultural, it is contextual. And that context is everything. Let me repeat. The context is everything. The context will change your perception. And the more precise, the more defined and narrowed down the context is, the more useful the flavor notes start to be. And the truly practical use of flavor notes is almost purely personal, or probably limited to a very small calibrated team. But even then, you tend to have small disagreements. We all have our biases, we all have our blind spots. We all have our bad days. But flavor notes, personally, can be very good indicators of multiple things, whether it will be indicators of the quality of the coffee, maybe the quality of the water or the equipment that you're using to brew that coffee, or maybe it tells you that today is not a good day for you. Maybe you're a little bit dehydrated and you cannot pick up as many flavor notes as you normally would. So flavor notes, they can be useful, but because they are very subjective and because they depend on the context, they're really tricky. All right, folks, that's everything for this podcast. I hope you enjoyed this. Thank you for listening, and I hope you have a great day. Thank you. Till the next one.